Welcome to Waypoints, the podcast of fly fishing travel, with helpful travel tips, news and events, destination profiles, great stories, and expert advice from seasoned and experienced traveling anglers. This is your backstage pass to the world of fishing travel. Waypoints is fueled by adventure and brought to you by Yellow Dog Fly Fishing, a hands-on specialty travel and booking company that delivers the industry's very best insider knowledge, logistical support, and trip preparation. Freshwater or saltwater, international or domestic, Yellow Dog has you covered. And now your host, Yellow Dog founder and director, Jim Klug. Joining me today is Marcelo Perez, the founder and CEO of Untamed Angling. For close to 20 years, Untamed has been at the forefront of jungle angling and some of the most exotic and adventurous offerings in the world of fly fishing. And their Bolivian operations have become the gold standard for Golden Dorado. Marcelo, thanks for sitting down and joining us today. Thank you, Jim. Uh, it's great we, it's could, we could take some time and, and talk uh, about Bolivia. We appreciate that. So, Marcelo, let me start off. You meet someone for the first time, all right? They ask yeah. you about your profession and what your company does. How do you answer that? In a few words, it's <laughs> difficult. Uh, I'm an architect. I had my office in Argentina for many years, but I always was an angler, and, uh, and, and I was always a passionate by 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 the jungle so i began to write uh in 1995 something like this for some magazines and i i began to explore more and more the jungle those days in argentina the dorado fishing was really tough finding a big dorado was really tough so i began to think about a way to get uh fly fishing destinations in 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 the places where we can find this fishing, like national parks or indigenous territories. Nice. So you started out, you're an architect, all right? You, you had a totally different life at that point in time. Now mm -hmm. you're this, you know, kind of wild, crazy jungle angler yeah. operating all over South America. But that wasn't always the case. You lived in Buenos Aires, you're an architect. Um, what was your background? I mean, how did you start fishing? How did you find your way to fly fishing? Well, my father... Uh, teach me for about fishing when I was a kid. And uh, he used to bring me to well, the Paraná River. Uh, those days it was quite a jungle for me and I was a kid. So I, for me it was uh, the best adventure in, in possible. So, uh, but I, I began to fly on, to fish on the fly when I was an adult. Gotcha. Uh, and my first fish was a dorado. So uh, that, that was it, you were yeah, hooked from the beginning. Yeah. And, uh, and so, I never, I never grab another kind of rod. Since we're going to talk about this in just a second, uh, get more into the, the fish and the species itself. But for those who, who aren't aware of what Dorado are, we're talking about the golden Dorado, which is a jungle fish. It's not the mahi-mahi Dorado, exactly. um, which is found in saltwater. It's a freshwater fish. But here's my question. Golden Dorado, I mean, that's kind of redundant, isn't it? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like... Yeah. You know, calling it a bony bonefish exactly. or something like that. Exactly. Yes, yeah. yeah. It's redundant. Absolutely. So uh, dorado. It's, it's dorado. It's dorado. Yeah. Well, you can say freshwater dorado to clear it up. There but, you go. Uh, but it's a for us, it's a dorado. So in 2001, you started a new company that, at the time, was going to be focused 100% on golden dorado, and yep. so about 20 years ago. Um, 
For those who don't know uh, and are listening and have never fished for Golden Dorado or even seen a Dorado, describe the fish. What makes it so special? Well, Dorado is a, I, th I think it has the whole package. It's a beautiful, beautiful fish, but at the same time, it's very strong and fierce. And the take is amazing and the fight is amazing and it jumps like a tarpon. So what can I say? It's very difficult to find a fish in fresh water that can beat uh, the Dorado. Uh, I, I'm, I definitely think, and most of our clients says the same thing, that, that Dorado nowadays is probably one of the top five or top three fish in fresh water. So you're operating early 2000s. You start La Zona, yeah. which is an operation in northern Argentina where you had yeah. big, huge trophy Dorado. Huge. Yes. It was a tailwater of a dam, Salto Grande Dam. It was a completely forbidden area like the national parks or indigenous territories. So I developed that model of conservation, working with the local people, joining the, the profits with the local people. The same thing that we did afterwards in Simane was in La Zona, but the, the difference is that there were no, no Indians there, you know, but locals. We, work with, with, we trained local guys. We made a biological research of the fish we release. It was super strict rules we made uh, and, and the authorities took. And that was very interesting. As I told you, those days was very difficult to find a big dorado in Argentina or in the Paraná system because of the commercial fishing and the predation and all that stuff. And in this place, I mean, every angler in a normal day could catch 20 dorados of, I don't know, 20 pounds to 40 pounds, you know? So it was a great beginning to show what a big dorado can do. Those days, the fly anglers in Argentina were, were used to catch just small fish that's that's the truth and the and the idea of the of the american anglers those days what that was that the dorado was a funny fish you know as as jump a, a jumping small fish very beautiful and it was not true you know they, they never caught a, a an adult a, a proper dorado yeah. that's right so you ran the zona in northern argentina for a number of years and while you were running the lodge you had some anglers that had done some Dorado fishing in Bolivia. You yep. began to hear stories yep. about huge fish mm -hmm. in the jungle setting in the wilds of Bolivia. I saw pictures and stories, and there were a couple of small agents that were there in the Secular River and told me the stories. And it was, uh, it was an Australian guy that, that owns a magazine in Australia and made a coffee table book. And one of the chapters of the book was there in La Junta. Okay. And, and we had it, that book in La Zona. So I was surprised about that place. So uh -huh. you're, you're, uh, you go from Argentina and you decide to head to Bolivia. Tell us a little bit about Bolivia. What kind of country is it? Bolivia is a, is a country in the center of, of South America that has basically two big areas, the mountain part of the, in the west, and the and the jungle part in the in the east in the east and uh, and uh, we are located Simane is located exactly in the middle in the foothills of the Andes mountains and the end of the Amazon forest so where we fish is basically the headwaters of an Amazon tributary and you know there's a lot of kind of preconceptions about Bolivia as a country with coca production and things like that oh. uh, but 
safe country? It's a safe country. I live there. There's no problem. You've, you've been living in Bolivia now for years. People the are friendly. The last five years, and I was traveling all the time before. Mm. And I, I, it's much safer than Argentina. Unfortunately for Argentina, I'm, I love my country, but it's not as safe as Bolivia, of course. So not a lot of information that existed at that time about the jungle rivers of Bolivia. As you said, you had read a chapter, you had seen some photos. How did you go about exploring these fisheries and evaluating their potential for an actual fishing operation? I mean, you had to start somewhere. And, and yes, people have been doing it. There were anglers on the Sakure, as you said, there were some agents, but really you're talking about going into a jungle wilderness where there's really nothing developed at this yeah, point. Yeah, it was nothing. I, it was a group of friends uh, that went there exploring like, uh, with, with their backpacks, and they called me to go. Uh, and I was there the first time in October 2006, October 10 of 2006. I landed there in Asunta with one of these guys, and I began to see the place and explore the place and, and begin the work with the Indians, the Indian authorities and the government. And I mean, there weren't a lot of websites that had information about this area. I mean, you it guys was had a to... website, actually, these guys, uh, the guys that were operating there, they had a website. It was their company was named Bolivian Adventures. And they had they had some hunting uh, destinations. They still have some hunting destinations in Bolivia for dubs uh, nearby Santa Cruz. And they had this camp nearby Asunta village. But they fish in conventional and they closed it in 1999, something like this. And yeah. it was abandoned and nobody came back until we, we went there in 2006. So you, you had seen some photos, you had read of some course. information, you knew the big fish were there. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was terrible photos, but, <laughs> you know, it was, for example, a wire with 40 pacus hanging or <laughs> dorados with treble hooks everywhere. And uh, or the moturos, the big catfish, uh, with a stick through through their gills and stuff like that. You know, that was the pictures we saw in the in the website. But anyway, the big fish were there, and the river was gorgeous. I mean, and and a lot of people when they hear about the Amazon, they immediately think Brazil. Okay, but the Bolivian Amazon, you know, we we hear about how the entire Amazon itself is basically kind of one big bowl that is the size of the entire United States. So if you're looking at that big bowl, describe where Samani and your area of operations lies within that big Amazon picture. Well, we are, yeah, as you said, the Amazon is mostly in Brazil. 60% of the Amazon is in Brazil in the Amazon forest. But the headwaters are in Bolivia, Peru, you know, the headwaters of the rivers. And uh, we are located exactly in, this, in a chain of mountains where uh, the Secura River, which is a tributary of the Amazon, uh, begins. You know? So the difference or the particular situation of this environment is that it's a transition area. So there are many endemic species there that live just in this transition area between the mountains and the, and the jungle. And, uh, and the rivers assist an area with mountain rivers, the rivers get very, very clear in the winter, like a trout river, you know. So describe the, the waters over there. Tell me about the rivers, what they look like. Um, you said they're clear most of the time. They look like, yes. It, 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 I mean, if it rains very hard in the mountains, they get muddy for a couple of days and then get clearer again. But they are clear as a, as a trout stream uh, in 
I don't know, in the States or in Patagonia. They're like this. And the dorados go up every year for spawning. So you have big dorados coming up in these shallow, small, clear rivers. And you fish like if you are fishing for trouts, but for dorados of about 20 pounds, 30 pounds, or something like this with floating lines, lots of side casting. It, it's a very particular environment. That's very different than, than the Paraná system, completely different. Well, and, and you just described, you know, the, kind of like a Western trout river, and I couldn't agree more. I mean, I've been fortunate enough to come down a number of times, and a lot of times I feel like I, I'm standing on the Gallatin. I mean, yeah. that's, what, that's what the <laughs> waters true. look like. It's clear, it's I mean, bouldery-type trout river characteristics, yet you're in the middle of this incredibly dense jungle, and you're fishing for these, you know, as you said, 20 to 30-pound, you know, speed demon fish that yeah. are sitting in this water and it, it like it's, trouts it's an pointed the current in a pocket or and, and you do a lot of the same things you do for trout reading the water looking for the obvious exactly. lies of where the fish would be um you know seams tail outs things like that exactly it's uh it's a pretty incredible system but getting back you talked about how they're there for spawning i mean why are they in this system how did they get into this system uh, what is it they love about that area well there's a theory where we're working on we began to study with uh, a group of biologists in Brazil that are specialists in characids. The dorado is a characid, like the tigerfish. Actually, they are relatives with the tigerfish. And uh, the theory is that the dorados were originally in the Paraná system because they, they are from the Paraná system. And then they passed from the Paraná basin to the Amazon basin through a river called Parapeti, which is in the border of Bolivia and Paraguay. And it happened in, in the last glacial era, 10,000 years ago. So the, the, the scientists know that this river changed its drainage from the Parana system to the Mamoré River, which is a tributary of the Madeira and the Amazon. And then the theory is that those days this population of Dorado colonized a much bigger area because the temperature was much lower and the, and the Amazon was a savanna, was not a forest. So with these conditions, Dorado could expand in, in a really big area. And then when the temperature rose, the Dorados get stuck in the headwaters of a chain of mountains, which begins in the Amoro National Park and finish in the Madidi National Park, all inside Bolivia. And this is, incredibly, this is the only place on the world where you can find dorados in the Amazon basin, in this chain of mountains of Bolivia. So we have the idea, and we are beginning to study the DNA with another scientist of uh, uh, World Conservation Society, that, that uh, is very probable that the, these fish are a different species. Than what's found in the Paranon and other places. Yes. So we made the analogy to trout a moment ago about where they live in the river and how they behave, but the drought are a migratory fish. Are and migratory. so sometimes trout will live in the same section of a river for their entire life. The drought are not that way. Uh, the very adults... There are a group of, of a, a small percent of, of dorados that live in the headwater and stay there. So they're residents and they're they don't residents. go anywhere. Yes, yes. You can see which is a resident and which not. The scales are bigger, the back is black, the head and the, and the, and the fins and the tail are much bigger. And, and what they do, 
instead of migrate, migrate they, is that they go to the small creeks when, when the floods come and stay there in the small creeks and come back to the river uh, again. Let me ask you about the Sabalo, because that, this was my next question. The, the Sabalo okay. event, the situation that happens in these jungle rivers, the Sabalo, and tell us a little bit about the fish, but it's not, you know, people hear Sabalo, and if they fished in the Caribbean yeah. or in the Yucatan, they think tarpon, all right? Yeah. yeah. Not a tarpon, obviously. No. It's a jungle fish. And the Sabalo it's situation- more similar to a mullet. It looks like a, a mullet. Mm-hmm. And it's an incredible phenomenon that happens there when these fish move in by the billions. Oh, yeah, yeah. They come up by billions for spawning, too. They spawn together with, this, with the Dorado. They are, the Sabalos are- 60% of the biomass in these rivers. So everyone feeds on sabalo, including the natives. You know, they, they have a super specialized technique for hunting them with bows and arrows. And the sabalo is the principal protein of, this, of these tribes. And also the fish, dorado and, and, and big catfish and other, and, and also the jaguar kills the sabalo, lots of birds. Everything, everyone, everything, everyone, everything depends on the sabalo. And yeah. it's about a 14-inch fish. It kind of looks at, like a cross between a mullet and a chub. Yeah. And it's bigger than a mullet, but what it looks like. And the Dorado just hammer these things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They can, they can crush a sabalo of four pounds, five pounds in just one bite. The, the, the design of the Dorado mouth is specific to, to, to catch big bite, big bait. And when they tear into these schools of the Sabalo, it's just as violent as anything you've ever seen in the jungle. Oh, yeah. It's a feeding frenzy completely unique. You know, they, they chase the Sabalo in the shallows and they begin to push them to the shores, to shallower areas, and they, they hunt in groups like lions. And then, and then one of them attack and the other ones, boom, 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 and Sabalos fly away everywhere. And, and well, it's a great moment. If you are close to that, you can cast whatever you have in your rod, and they will take it. It's terrifying. It's like yeah, you're yeah. standing there, and when this happens, it's like someone starts throwing bowling balls into yeah. the river. I mean, things yeah. are exploding everywhere. There's hundreds of sabalo flying all over the place, yeah. and these big, golden, you know, terrifying, vicious creatures are just absolutely smashing these sabalo. Yes, and then they go in really shallow, so you can see the back of the fish out of the water hunting for the sabalo. It's, it's a pretty incredible sight. Definitely one of the coolest things in the world of fly fishing. Oh, yeah. And the, the interesting thing there is that the, the behavior of the fish is, has a range so wide. You know, you can see the fish hunting like this, crazily hunting, or standing in a, in a pool like a brown trout, you know, a big dorado, I mean. And then you, you uh, approach the fish and make a small noise with a branch. And it's gone. Or if it see your line, it's gone. You know? It's at the same fish that you will see in a feeding frenzy and they will take everything. So in between those points, you have lots of different uh, forms of, of catch, catching the fish or situations that, that you need to know to catch the fish. Well, so let's, let's talk about setting up the lodges down there. It's 2009 and you officially start the Somani operations in Bolivia. You have two lodge locations at yes. that point. Uh, and this is a, a new business in that it's a partnership with the indigenous people yeah. that own the land in the entire area. Yeah. How did this come to be? Well, the original idea was 
to combine a, a lot of different stuff to get the permits there. The first thing I thought was, imagine that if you if you want to make a business with an estancia owner, and that he has a river, there's a very good fishing, and you have you have the idea of doing a lodge there. What will you do? You will do a partnership with the owner, probably, or rent the land. Or... So that what I thought is these guys are the owners. The only way to do it is doing a, a fair, equitative partnership with them. And that's what we did. And so were the, the Somani, were they immediately open to the idea yes. when you approached them? Yes. I, I, honestly, I think they, they, they were not understanding exactly what will happen because they never seen a fly fishing operation before, uh, they understood very fast that the fish released survive. That was a concern for them. And, uh, and, they, and they understood also very fast that their, their skills as hunters were super useful for the project. So they, they began to get proud immediately about the project and their activity in the project. And of course, they were winning a lot of money, you know, so... They were, they were really happy. So the way you have it set up is they share the profits of the fishing operation. Yeah. And the operation now provides employment for a lot of them. Yes. So did just they... Employment just in the areas that are related to their culture. You know, we don't... I, I personally don't agree with the classical model of uh, many NGOs that uh, train the natives to administrate the tourism operation. I think... In the Amazon, at least, it breaks the, the soul of the village, of the community. You know, it's completely another culture. Foreign from, concept. From ours. Right. You know, it's another concept. So it's not good. I think also the, the money they get, we made like a deal that, they, they, of course, it's them. It's their money. They can use it how they want. But we made a deal with them. Um, they, they have to use 80% of this profit for for common projects for projects that are for the community in, yeah for the community that are getting better way of life for them for example last year uh, we helped them to do i mean we helped them because we design all the stuff um, and make the budgets and all that stuff but they did uh, six filtration uh, houses you know, so now they have potable water in all the villages, which is very important in the rainy season because they get, the water gets muddy and they don't have another water to, to drink or to cook or to clean their babies or whatever. And it gets a lot of diseases. You know? So it's a, it's a system of filter we, we found in Santa Cruz uh, that doesn't use energy. So they have always, there's like a, it's like a simple, simple system but uh, but it's a little bit expensive, and then, and they built six in this in the five communities that formed the Indian Association. So ten years, you guys mm -hmm. have been in operation down there at this yeah. point. Um, anglers coming in from different parts of the world, a lot from the states. Probably eighty percent of your eighty percent anglers are, are from yeah. the U.S. Has it been good for the Somani? Has oh, the yeah. project worked out well for them? Yes, and they're happy. Oh yeah, and, I mean, I've, I I we sometimes we don't have a great fishing because of some natural reasons but 90 percent of the of the anglers are super happy with the experience and it's not just about fishing the fishing is crazy but uh but the whole experience to be there with the indians and 
and uh, have a very comfortable facility in the middle of nowhere, you know, the, this, this uh, contrast of the wilderness, the total wild, wilderness you feel when you are walking and waiting there and you see jaguar footprints and whatever, and all these birds and butterflies. And, and at the same time, you come back to the lodge and you have Wi-Fi, you have a super good food and drinks and wine and... I don't know. It's it's a it's a good contrast for it, it, most of the guests. And it must have been a monumental project logistically getting all oh, this it set is. up. I mean, there were no roads. There were no, there's, there's no way to move around other than the water itself. You know, in the boats. The building was <clears throat> was crazy. Was a was a crazy enterprise. You know, and but uh, and and it was I don't know twice or three times more expensive than that we planned because we didn't know how to get the stuff there. But now, we, and, and also the logistics for the operation are really complicated. It's a lot of people working around Simane. You cannot imagine how many, uh, not only in the jungle, but in the city and, and in the other city, in Trinidad and, and even in Buenos Aires. We have a lot of people working. So let's talk specifically a little bit about the fishing. For Dorado, yeah. all right. Tell me about the seasons of fishing in Bolivia. The season is a dry season. Yeah, it starts more or less in mid-April and finish in late October. And you can fish throughout that entire time frame. We Water conditions change, obviously, yes. but that's that's your your seasons of operation down there. Yes. Normally, we begin in June, in early June, because we want to be sure that all the fish are there. You know, you know have. Uh, environmental problems with the with the migration. No? So we start in early June and finish in late October. It's our winter, so it could be chilly because it's we are in the mountains. It's hot during the day and fresh at night, uh, and the waters get clear for that. And it's just a few rains, not too much. That that's what we want. So if someone's going down to fish for Dorado. What gear are they taking, Marcelo? As far as you know, rod weight, fly lines. Tell us a little bit about that. We use eight, nine weight rods, fast rods, saltwater rods normally, uh, and mostly floating lines, also for warm weather and, and saltwater. Uh, we have a couple of designs that we help to, to develop with scientific anglers that are specific for, for the jungle. Are, are prepared, that, that lines are prepared for, to throw really big flies, because normally you throw really big streamers. You know, that many people is not used to cast these big streamers. Yeah, some of these are seven, eight inches long, heavy. Yes, yes. Uh, and also the leader is a straight fluorocarbon of 40 pounds, and we use a wire of 40 pounds, which is normally a camo color notable wire. Uh, it's a stretch of, I don't know, 40 centimeters, more or less, of wire. And uh, and uh, you can bring also some clear intermediate, clear tip intermediate lines, just in case the river gets a little bit high. But normally we fish with floating lines the whole season. Yeah, and in the past when I've gone down, that's your primary rod is a nine weight floating line. Yeah, and then another rod set up with maybe a two fifty or three hundred grain sink tip on it. Yeah. Yeah, and that's always been effective for fishing some of the deeper water. Sometimes, yes. In some, some conditions, you can fish with a sinking line. But normally, what happens is that you walk a lot. You cannot bring, you know, three rods in your hands, and you, you, got, you get your rod. And, and, and 
things happen suddenly in the jungle. You are walking and then your Indian guide, we have, we normally work with professional guides and Indian guides in all of our, our operations. That's a way to, to, to use their skills that are amazing. I will speak about that later. But normally you are walking upstream and then your Indian guide or your guide point a fish and you have seconds, you know. You don't have time to change the fly, change the, the rod, whatever. You have seconds. Normally, what I bring normally is a rod with a popper and a rod with a streamer. And that's it. Just in case, because it's very interesting to cast a popper. If you have lots of feeding frenzies everywhere, you grab your your popper rod and, and, and it's much interesting, you know? So let's talk for a second about the flies. And yep. a lot of streamers, some poppers, mm -hmm. some floating, big floating kind of foam flies, um, but most of them are large. Yes. That's what these fish are looking for. Yes, because they, they kill large bait. That's, that's the truth. You can use not as large, you know, if you go more in the upper parts, in the, in the, up, in, in the headwaters parts, you can fish more with small flies, you know, in the lower parts where the river is a little bit more murky, you need to use big flies and, and mostly black colors combined with red or purple or And you guys have yellow. designed a number of patterns yes. that are specific to your fishery. Mm -hmm. The yes. Andino deceiver, some of the yes. things like that. No, no, we don't. We don't design. The, we didn't design the Andino deceivers. The, the design of the Andino deceiver was made by an Argentine in the seventies. Okay. He fished in the Paraná area. Uh, no, but we used that. Uh, we adapted that that fly uh, for our rivers. But, a lot, a lot of the big same Yes. So no, and also we use the 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 fly we are using. We were using last year with big success was the game changer. It works fantastically. I mean, it can move a dorado from a long distance. Gotcha. So let me ask you this. Who should go to Bolivia to fish? What type of angler is a good fit for your fishery? And I know, you know obviously, you're, you own lodges, so your answer is, well, everybody should go. Yeah. Anyone can go, of course. But <laughs> I understand. It, it, I mean, it is a demanding environment down there. Yeah. Uh, who does well typically in Bolivia? What, what type of angler? Well, I think uh, the, the perfect angler for Bolivia would be a combination between a trout angler with a saltwater angler or a trout angler with some saltwater skills because uh, the way you set the hook and you, and you fight the fish is completely different from trout. But at the same time, the reading of the water and all that stuff is exactly like trout fishing. So... I think that, that this is per perhaps the, these skills could be the best. In terms of ages or, or physical preparation, well, most of our clients are adults. I, would say. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't want to say old people, but most of them are old people. You know? Of course, they have more problems to walk super, super high. I mean, in the, in the very headwaters, it's, it's more for a young, well-trained person, but, uh, but they can fish very well. Anyway, it's not that hard as, as perhaps you can think, you know, it's, it is a little bit hard. You come back very tired at the end of the day, but... A lot but, of hiking, a lot of walking. Oh, yeah. yeah. But it's not, I mean, it's not very different than hiking and walking in a trout river. Gotcha. So uh, let's talk a little bit about river conditions that you see there. We talked about how, you know, when it rains, obviously the, the rivers color up. They usually clear in a couple of days. Mm -hmm. But typically, you can expect a, a combination of 
of hopefully clear water with with the sight casting opportunities we were talking about. And then, especially lower down, some of the off-colored, slightly murky situations where you're spending more time fishing structure Mm -hmm. and likely holding water than you are sight fishing. Not always. We have perhaps three different types of sight fishing. The, the the best fly fishing side fishing is when you see when you spot a fish in a pocket standing there sitting there like a trout you know it is very common in the very hot waters and 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 that's perhaps the most interesting way of fishing there then you cast upstream you know it's not it's a little bit tricky because you need to strip as soon as the fly touches the water but uh in the marky areas or in the more marky areas, you also can see wakes of the fish when they are in the shallows, or you can see a feeding frenzy, which is another kind of side casting, but it's another it's side fishing also at the same time. So it's it's more common this kind of feeding frenzies, for example, in the lower areas than in the in the headwaters. And um, so I mean it's a it's a lot of different kinds of, of techniques and and situations you will find along the week. And we've obviously been talking a lot about the Dorado because that's the primary target when mm-hmm. you go down there. But tell us a little bit about some of the other species that people can typically catch when they go down. Well, there's the second species, which is amazing, is the Paku. The Paku is, we call it uh, the jungle permit because it's very similar. The shape is similar to a, to a permit. Uh, it's a round fish black color, very intelligent, very smart, difficult to catch, super, super strong. I mean, when you catch one, you got, you got, Paku, you know what I'm talking about. It's super hard. I mean, it pulls like a train, you know. And normally, we catch them with uh, fruit imitations. You have to cast high and imitate the drop of a fruit falling in the water because these fish are omnivorous. They eat fruits, leaves small fish, many different stuff. Or we catch it with uh, streamers too. Many times I caught them, I was walking upstream with my Dorado fly and I saw a Paku and, and I got it with a big streamer. They, they, they catch it. And the other fish is the Yatorana. Yatorana is an amazing white fish. Uh, it's not as common as the Paku because it's also a Dorado target, you know? When you catch a Yatorana, there's a big possibility that a huge Dorado come and crush it. But it's super strong, and you catch it with smaller streamers and also sometimes with, with fruit imitations or small dry flies. They catch it very well. They take very well small dry flies. And the Yatorana are super strong oh, for their size. Pound by pound probably is the stronger. And, and all of these, these three species, which are the most common down there for anglers, are crazy. I mean, the Dorado and the Yatorana have these vicious teeth. Yes. It's incredibly sharp teeth. And then the Paku is a wild species. Molars. Yeah. <laughs> it's, you, you, you take like your set of pliers and you kind of open his mouth up a little bit and it has what looks like a set of human teeth. Mm-hmm. Yes. Wild looking. Yes. Yes. Because they are designed to crush nuts and, and fruits, uh, fruits and different kinds of, of food. You know, they eat almost everything. So, but it's interesting. I like a lot fish for Paku because, uh, because it's tricky, but also because the way you can see it, because of the way you can see it, this, the fish is so black and so big. I mean, we catch Paku up to 25 pounds, 
Oh, they're really big. I mean, in, in, in this clear water and shallow water, sometimes they go out from the pool and go to the, to the rifles and, and you look this big round black fish moving around. This super, I mean, it's intense. <laughs> it, it makes you tremble, you know. <laughs> so you've, you, uh, you've got Yatarana, you've got the Paku, and of course the Dorado. And you have these in all your operations. And now you started off with two lodge locations. Now you have three. Yeah. Because uh, about three years after opening the first ones, you opened up the Agua Negra Lodge. Yeah. In 2013. And you've got three different locations within yeah. the Samani. In different tributaries. Yeah. Yes. Different tributaries. Yes. That's right. Well, I'll tell you, you know, people ask me about Bolivia and Golden Dorado a lot. And, you know, they say, is it worth the trip? Or, you know, is the Dorado really that cool to catch? And I'm pretty quick to tell people that these jungle Dorado are hands down one of the most amazing species in the world that can be caught on the fly. They're right. just an, an absolute uh, one-of-a-kind type catch. I agree. And it happens to be in one of the most beautiful places in the world as oh, yeah. well. <laughs> it is beautiful, really beautiful. The combination between the mountains and the jungle, it's something really unique. That's right. And, and you know, the Dorado, the way they hunt and the way they feed, I mean, they are really just the perfect predator. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, I, I, I always say that they look like a T-Rex. You know, the head is like a T-Rex head, small teeth, but a big, big mouth. I mean, it's amazing how they hunt and how and how they take the fly. I mean, it's a very special, a very special fish. I, the perfect I that, predator. Yes, I think that is that is that's why it's getting more and more interested interest. Sorry from. For, for the anglers uh, internationally, you know. Well, the demand certainly keeps going up. Yes. It's, it's getting harder to get yes. into Samani these yes. days. Everybody yes, wants to go. I know. And, and you guys obviously control the number of rods in the areas down there. So yeah. it's, uh, it stays good. Um, now, obviously, we talked about this earlier. It's not the only place you find Dorado. But how is the Bolivia fishing different from other Dorado fisheries in, in northern Argentina? Uh, tell us about that. Okay, second. well... The, the first thing in terms of environment is that you are fishing in a mountain river, shallow and clear. And in Argentina, normally you are fishing in, in a big river from a boat. And normally it's not clear. You, know, you, don't, you don't do side casting there. Uh, you do side casting 50% of the time in, in Simane. Uh, that's the first thing. The other thing is that the dorados are completely wild. And I believe that it's another species. Uh, because of all this theory, but they, these dorados, what I, what I mean with, with wild, these dorados are still feeding on the Sábalo like, like they did 10,000 years ago. You know, in, in the Paraná system, the dorados has been adapted to dams and bridges and commercial fishing and the disappear of the Sábalo because the Sábalo is object of commercial fishing in Argentina by tons and thousands of tons per year. So this fish has evolved with, with, with people, with civilization. Uh, the, the Bolivian Dorado is completely, you know, it's just, we have just five villages of indigenous people with bows and arrows. Imagine that, you know, it's completely wild. And at the same time, when the other thing uh, is that uh, you are fishing in a national park, this is the only one operation. You will not see any people there, nobody. And if you fish in the Paraná, you will cross hundreds of boats per day. You are fishing in a completely open and public area. You know? 
that's another big difference. Well, I, I have to circle back and ask you a little bit more about the Samani. You were talking about their prowess as hunters and how good they oh, are yeah. as hunters. And tell us, tell us a story about that. Well, I, I always say that they have superpowers, you know, <laughs> because, I mean, they have evolved also hunting in this kind of environment for thousands and thousands of years. So first they have their feet, they still have mobility in their toes and, and, and they can grab the rocks when they walk. So we, we walk with our special felt sole boots and still sleeper, you know, in the river and they go barefoot and run in the river, you know, and never fall. So the other thing is that they, their, their senses are amazing. They can smell everything and, and hear everything. And the most important is the sight. The way they can spot a fish is something unbelievable. They don't use, of course, they don't use sunglasses, but they can spot a fish from 30 meters. You know, they point there and say, Dorado, you this now. There are Dorados there, for sure. It's a funny story. Once I, I brought them the Costa lens. And Co Costa sunglasses. Sunglasses, yes. And they, they love it because they love to use cups and, and lens and whatever, you know, they love, they love it. And they began to use it. But, but when they were fishing, when they were guiding, uh, how do you say they, they were pointing the Dorado, they do this, Dorado, and L put it Lift back. the glasses off lift their heads, the spot the fish, <laughs> then put them back <laughs> on. They put them back, yes, <laughs> all the time. You know? Well, you, you, Because they couldn't see with the, with the polarized glasses. The other thing about the Samani, you talked about the bow and arrow. Um, they don't miss anything, whether no. it's birds or monkeys or Whatever. big mammals. Yeah. They are they they're also predators, yes, like of the Dorado. No, and the, but the, but the most I think the most impressive thing is how they hunt for fish, because the fish are not you know they are not standing there. No, they are moving all the time, and they catch five sabalos in ten minutes or more. You know, with an arrow. With an arrow, yes, yes. <laughs> Well, that's pretty amazing. And uh, as I said, it is truly one of the most unique fisheries I've, I've ever had the uh, great fortune to visit. It's, it's amazing what you guys have set up down there. Thank you. Um, any more in Bolivia to explore? Any more to come, Marcelo? Oh, yeah. We have a couple of new projects uh, that we're working on. Uh, some for Dorado, some for other species. Bolivia has this uh, advantage that is not super developed, you know, so that... Uh, the the indigenous territories and national parks in Bolivia are really wild, are still wild. Now, they have threats, of course, but they are very wild yet. So there are some areas we would like to open, you know, if we have the chance, we are working on that. And uh, unfortunately, we will be offering new new options for the, for the anglers in, in the next future. So more to come in Bolivia. Oh, yeah. Well, last question I have for you. Um, we've seen a lot in the news lately uh, about the political situation in Bolivia. And as it is with all news programs, you know, they'll show the protests and lots of people in the street. You just had a change in your president. Evo Morales is out. Mm -hmm. um, you've got an, an interim president. Yeah. What's, what's the, the reality down there, though? I mean, when you see news footage, you think, oh, boy, it must be dangerous. It's getting crazy. But you were there through all of this. Oh, what is not, the political situation? It's not dangerous at all. 
unfortunately, the news, as you said, the news always show the worst things, you know, but it doesn't mean that it's happening all around the country. That's, there are some people that, that support Evo Morales yet that are still protesting in specifically in two parts of the country, in the high part of La Paz and, and in, in, in El Chapare, uh, and that's it. But they are controlled uh, nowadays. Even when the what, even when the news shows just this stuff, you know, in the big cities. I was in La Paz before coming here, and uh, and I don't, I haven't seen any single protest. Or I, I live in Santa Cruz and I haven't seen anything. I, everything is calm. Uh, what happened was that it was a huge, massive protest uh, against Evo Morales after the elections, and and it finished with. Uh, with the, how do you say the... Um, uh, well, when the president left. Yes, when the yeah. president left. Yes. Yeah, he, he left for Mexico and, and things calmed yes. down pretty quickly. And the new internal president is calling to elections in Jan. In Jan, sorry, not Jan. In Jan. So Bolivia will have a new president very soon, elected normally. But, I mean, things are very calm. I... I I, I don't see what many people is asking me the same thing, you know. I don't see what the news are showing in in other countries. Um, well, that's good to hear, and certainly doesn't affect you guys deep in the jungle on the oh, uh, no. Dorado rivers. No, 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 not only in the jungle. Santa Cruz also is very calm. Well, that's where the guests normally uh, arrive, and that's, nothing happens there, you know. Well, good news and. I appreciate you sitting down with us today, Marcel. This oh. is great. We we didn't even talk about the other uh, operations that you guys have in, in Brazil, throughout yes. Brazil, and, and a new operation that you're getting ready to launch in Cuba. So oh, we're going yeah. gonna to save that for different shows okay. in the future. We'll do that. <laughs> okay, okay. But uh, we appreciate it. It will be a pleasure. Outstanding. Well, thanks for listening in on this episode of Waypoints. Thanks to Marcelo Perez. We will talk with you again in the future. Thank you, Jim. Take care. Take care. This has been another episode of Waypoints, the podcast of fly fishing travel and adventure angling. Thank you for joining us and be sure to visit yellowdogflyfishing.com for more trip updates, travel news, expert advice, and adventure profiles. Mm-hmm.